We promise we are not a bunch of stuffy old lawyers saying stuffy old things. You heard that right. This is the Insight to Injury podcast, sponsored by Osterbind Law, PLLC. The podcast that reports to you, Central Virginia, about what's going on in the injury and disability world. We answer all the questions you don't even know to ask. Now, here's your host, Brandon Osterbind. Let's get started. Welcome back, Team Ostrovine. Thank you for joining us again this week. This is episode eight of the Insight to Injury podcast. And, you know, just to kind of give you a little bit of a, a brief background and a history of where we've been and what we've been doing, we've done uh, several podcasts and I think have been very helpful, to, at least from what I've heard from a lot of people. And, you know, we've talked about checking your insurance coverages. We've talked about telling good stories. We've talked about why it's important for us to read, how we can redeem the time in our daily lives. Uh, we talked a little bit about lawyer wellness. And last week, we talked about how to handle your money after you win your case. And today I wanted to go into a little bit of detail about some of the um, intricacies of the court system in Virginia and how it's set up and how it might benefit you to know this information. So uh, without any further ado, I just want to dive into this and start to talk about how the court system is set up in Virginia. And in particular, I want to talk about the hierarchy of from, from top to bottom, where the different courts in Virginia stand, what they're called, what types of cases would go into which court and things of that nature. So I'm going to start right from the top because it kind of gets tricky and intricate when you get closer to the bottom. But at the top, you've got the Supreme Court of Virginia. A lot of people like to call it the Virginia Supreme Court, but the Supreme Court of Virginia is technically the name. If you if you go to the court's website, that's what they call themselves. Their acronym is not... VSC, it is SCV, Supreme Court of Virginia. And the Supreme Court of Virginia is eligible to hear just about every case that comes up through the lower courts. It's also eligible to hear a couple of uh, items that are what, what the court would consider original jurisdiction. That is, that's where it is filed very for the very first time. Uh, those situations are pretty rare when you would get those types of um, original jurisdiction filings, and they are limited to writs of mandamus, habeas corpus, prohibition, and writs of actual innocence. So those those writs would be filed directly with the Supreme Court of Virginia, and they would bypass any other lower court that might um, be... Uh, somewhat tangentially related to the subject matter of the writ. It doesn't matter if the subject matter of the writ would go to a different court as long as it is one of those types of original jurisdiction filings, it would go directly to the Supreme Court of Virginia. Directly underneath the Supreme Court of Virginia is the Court of Appeals of Virginia. It's not the Virginia Court of Appeals. It's the Court of Appeals of Virginia. They like to call themselves the CAV, C-A-V, Court of Appeals of Virginia. A lot of people get that wrong and they mistake that. They call it the Virginia Court of Appeals. Uh, I clerked 
for a judge on the Virginia Court of Appeals, the Court of Appeals of Virginia. And um, we always refer to ourselves as the Court of Appeals of Virginia, the CAV. And there are nine judges on the uh, Court of Appeals. And those judges are limited to hearing certain cases that involve certain subject matter types. So, for instance, administrative appeals. So if you have a board or some type of an administrative body in Virginia that hears a uh, case or uh, censures someone or, or, or limits some type of a of a, um, opportunity for another person, say doctors and licenses or or um, the environmental agency or something like that where there's some type of an administrative process and you go through the Administrative, administrative Process Act and then you appeal your case, you're appealing it to the Court of Appeals of Virginia. Same thing with domestic relations cases, so family law cases that come out of the circuit courts. Uh, which are below the Court of Appeals of Virginia, criminal cases, which again come from circuit courts, and then workers' comp, workers' compensation cases, which come out of the Workers' Compensation Commission. So this is where it starts to get a little wonky because you have underneath the Supreme Court and underneath the Court of Appeals of Virginia, you have the circuit courts. And the circuit courts hear cases, any civil cases or any... Um, administrative cases or any uh, criminal cases, and they are decided in the circuit court level, and then they go up either to the Court of Appeals of Virginia or to the Supreme Court of Virginia. So those administrative appeals, domestic relations appeals, criminal appeals go from the circuit court up to the Court of Appeals, and then other cases would go straight to the Supreme Court of Virginia. Also underneath the Court of Appeals of Virginia is the Workers' Compensation Commission. Now, the Workers' Compensation Commission is like its own little quasi-court system in Virginia. They have three commissioners who ultimately decide all the cases in Virginia, but they're not getting every single case. They're not hearing evidence in every single case. They have what they call deputy commissioners who are uh, designated to sit in certain jurisdictions throughout the entire Commonwealth. So uh, I don't know off the top of my head how many deputy commissioners there are, but there's a good deal of them, and they have offices scattered all throughout uh, the Commonwealth of Virginia. And those deputy commissioners will hear evidence in these workers' compensation cases, the deputy commissioner will give a written opinion. If a party disagrees with that opinion, they can appeal it up to the three commissioners. And if the party disagrees with those three commissioners, then they can appeal it up to the Court of Appeals of Virginia. If they disagree with the Court of Appeals of Virginia, they can then appeal it to the Supreme Court of Virginia. It's pretty rare that a workers' compensation case gets all the way up to the Supreme Court of Virginia. That's why when you you see most cases talking about workers' comp issues, most of them are from the Court of, of Court of Appeals of Virginia. Now, the workers' comp system is kind of set up almost like the circuit court system, except there are only three deputy commissioners and then a bunch of, um, there are three commissioners and then a bunch of deputy commissioners. In the circuit court system, which is completely separate and apart from the workers' comp system, and again, it feeds cases up to the Court of Appeals of Virginia and up to the Supreme Court of Virginia, underneath the court 
a circuit court are two different types of courts. One is called the general district court, and the other is called the juvenile and domestic relations district court. Now, that's a long name, but it essentially means that it handles all of the family law related type cases, cases that are between people who are related by marriage or blood. So those domestic assault cases go to JDR court, um, custody and visitation battles, they go to JDR court. Uh, things that involve the Department of Social Services, they go to Juvenile and Domestic Relations Court. And then if you lose in JDR Court, Juvenile and Domestic Relations District Court, then you get to appeal that court's decision up to the circuit court. Now, you may think, well, so what, what does the circuit court do? The circuit court reviews the judge's decision for error. That's actually not true at the circuit court level. At the circuit court level, what the circuit court does is you it, they give you a brand new trial. So if you're there on a um, domestic assault and battery case or something like that, and you lose and you appeal your case up to the circuit court, you get the opportunity to try your case all over again. That's called a de novo appeal. And that's pretty un- a pretty unique thing uh, here in Virginia where you get a brand new um, do-over, so to speak. And the same thing is true with the general district court. Now, general district court deals with those civil and criminal matters where people are not related by blood or marriage and imagine a um, a, abuse um, or a uh, assault and battery charge uh, for people at a bar or um, a a traffic ticket or a a personal injury case with uh, low value. General District Court can handle civil cases up to $25,000 in damages. So Uh, For a lot of these personal injury cases, and we'll do this in our personal injury practice, we will make a decision, is this worth $25,000 or more? And if it is, then we'll consider filing it in circuit court. And if it isn't, then we'll consider filing it in general district court. And then the the big difference in personal injury cases between circuit court and general district court is pretty stark because you can get the medical records in general district court. You get an affidavit that follows the language in the statute, which is, I believe, 16.188.2. I'll put a link in the show notes just so you can kind of get an idea. But you can you can track the language of the statute in an affidavit from your healthcare provider, and that medical record and the bills associated with those visits will just come in as evidence. If you tried to do that in circuit court, you get all kinds of objections um, because of hearsay and um, doctor opinions. Doctors actually have to testify to what their opinions are. That's why it costs so much more to go to circuit court versus going to general district court. I can try a general district court case for just a couple hundred dollars and getting the medical records and filing the case, but in circuit court, the filing fee is going to be a lot more, and then paying the doctors to come testify is probably the most substantial expense in a personal injury case. So even if we think that the 
case has a value of around 30 or 35, we'll sit down and we'll have a honest conversation with our client just to make sure that we're doing the right thing. I don't want to have to spend $10,000 to try a $35,000 case when I can get 25 out of general district court. So it might be that we make a strategic decision and we go ask a general district court judge for $25,000 and spend $200 instead of spending $10,000 to get a $35,000 verdict when a $35,000 verdict is not guaranteed. Uh, and it's never guaranteed in circuit court because you're going in front of a jury and juries are typically unpredictable. So you can have a general idea of what a jury is likely to do, but you, you never have a guarantee when you get in front of a jury. So we will have those honest conversations about what a case is worth, whether we should take it to general district court or whether we should take it to circuit court. If it's generally worth more than $35,000 and we feel pretty good about that, we will recommend to our clients to take the case to circuit court and start to incur the expense and see uh, how it goes. Of course, now, it didn't used to be this way, but now there is a statute that will essentially allow you, if you believe that your case is uh, not worth the trouble of going through the circuit court testimony hurdles, uh, then you can essentially jump from circuit court back into general district court. And that's a new statute just came out, I believe last year. Uh, I actually haven't had the opportunity to use it because we're pretty, um, we're pretty good at, at evaluating our cases and making good decisions about whether to go to general district court or whether to go to circuit. And if you make a good decision on the front end, then you don't have to fix a mistake on the back end. But the good thing is, if you if you ultimately feel after a little bit of discovery that your case isn't worth $35,000 or your case isn't worth $25,000 and it's more like fifteen dollars or $20,000, then you can essentially cut your losses and go from circuit court into general district court, which was problematic before because you're allowed to non-suit in Virginia, and non-suit is essentially a free do-over. But when you refile your case, it's like a voluntary dismissal. When you refile your case under the non-suit statute, you had to file it in the same court that you were in before unless that same court no longer has jurisdiction over the claim. The problem with that analysis is that circuit courts and general district courts had what we call concurrent jurisdiction, which means that they both had jurisdiction over cases that range from between $4,500 and $25,000. So you couldn't say, now I'm filing suit for $25,000 in general district court and um, the circuit court no longer has jurisdiction because that's not true. Technically, the circuit court did have jurisdiction up to that $25,000 and down all the way to $4,500. You would have to file your case in general district court for less than $4,500 if you wanted to argue with a straight face that the circuit court no longer had jurisdiction over that claim, which most cases, if you file it in general district court, if you're filing at all, it's going to be worth more than $4,500. Of course, there are always exceptions to that rule. But in the grand scheme of things, you would ask for somewhere along the lines of $25,000 if you're going to general district court and give the judge the opportunity to award you the most um, that is available based on the facts and evidence presented in your case. 
So now just by way of recap, we started at the very top um, in, in this situation. We started with the Supreme Court of Virginia and we went down to the Court of Appeals of Virginia and the circuit court, um, different circuit courts in all the different jurisdictions. Now there's a circuit court in every county. Every county has a circuit court and every county has a general district court and every county has a JDR court. So all of those are, are just kind of scattered throughout the Commonwealth based on um, the locality. So every city has one and every county has one. Now, um, those counties and cities are all compiled into what we call judicial circuits. So those judicial circuits are a combination of multiple counties and cities. Like Lynchburg is in the 24th judicial circuit. So Lynchburg, Bedford, Campbell County, um, Amherst County, and Nelson County are all in the 24th Judicial Circuit. So all of those um, judges that are in that circuit could go anywhere in the circuit. So we've got one judge in Bedford. We've got one judge in Campbell County. We've got typically we have two judges in Lynchburg, one judge um, in Amherst and one judge in Nelson. So we've got a bunch of judges and they all, if there is a conflict, that's the first place they look, they'll go up to the um, chief judge and they'll say they have got a conflict and the chief judge will assign someone else to go hear that particular case. And sometimes the judges will run two courtrooms. So for example, there may be a, a need in Campbell County for judge for one judge to hear cases in one courtroom and another judge to come from another jurisdiction and hear cases in another courtroom because they've got two courtrooms there in Campbell County most people don't know about. But um, all of those are composed in a judicial circuit. And those circuit courts, like I said, handle civil cases and criminal cases and administrative appeals from certain agencies. So that is generally an overview of the court system in Virginia. Underneath the circuit courts, you've got general district courts and JDR courts. Underneath the Court of Appeals, you've got some circuit court cases and all of the workers' compensation cases. So that is how our state judicial system is set up with all of the different court systems and the types of cases that they handle. Now, right alongside of that, you've also got federal courts in Virginia. You, you obviously have the uh, Supreme Court of the United States that, that's located in Washington, D.C. And under that, you've got, again, it's a bunch of circuit courts of appeals. So Virginia is in the fourth circuit court of appeals, which is a combination of many states. So West Virginia, Maryland, North Carolina, South Carolina, are all in the fourth circuit under the Court of Appeals. And under the court of a Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals, you also have uh, different district courts throughout every state. So in Virginia, you have the Western District uh, Courts and you've got the Eastern District Courts. And each district is also subdivided into divisions. So we have the Lynchburg Division of the Western District Court uh, in Virginia. And that is located right on Court Street, right down the street from the Lynchburg Circuit Court. But it's its own court system. So the district court is the trial court. The Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals is an appellate court on top of, that goes right over top of the district court. And right over top of that is the Supreme Court of the United States. So it's a much more simplistic 
um, type of a system on the federal level. And those federal cases are those cases that involve what we call a federal question. So if it's a matter of federal law, then the federal district court will hear that case and it can go on appeal all the way up to the Supreme Court of the United States. Uh, or the district court can also hear cases that involve a state law issue, but that involve what we call diverse parties. And what we call diverse parties is simply a way of saying that the parties live in different states. So if you have a plaintiff from Virginia, but you have a defendant from California, um, if let's just use a motor vehicle accident as an example, if the defendant was here in Virginia on vacation or whatever on business and they cause an accident and, and the plaintiff who lives in Virginia sues the defendant who lives in California, the plaintiff can file suit either in the Lynchburg Division of the Western District of Virginia or you could file it in Lynchburg Circuit Court. And if you file it in Lynchburg Circuit Court, the defendant has the option to remove the case to federal court if they want to. All you have to do is file a notice of removal and the case essentially gets shipped across the street to the federal court and you can try the case to a federal jury with a federal judge and then your appeals process goes up through the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals up to the Supreme Court of the United States. So it's kind of complicated, kind of convoluted, but the federal system is much more simplistic than the state system. In fact, when I explain our state system of uh, our courts, I typically have to draw this out for people because it is, it's, it's incredibly confusing to just sit here and, and talk about it on an audio recording. But if you, if you looked at my piece of paper that I have out here, my notes, uh, you, you would see that I've drawn all of the different courts and the and the way the cases can go, the the path that the cases could go, and I think what I might do is I might um, draw that out and attach maybe a picture um, that I can upload to the show notes page here, just to kind of give you a better idea of where these cases are starting and where they're going and what types of cases are being heard and at each level and because it's pretty complicated if you think about it and break it down like I've tried to do but if you if you can see it if you could take an aerial view a 3,000 foot 30,000 foot view of uh, the um, the court system in Virginia it's not as complicated as it sounds uh, that's why if you have a court case you probably ought to talk to an attorney you know where do I need to file suit for this what do I need to do? Uh, should I file it in general district court? Do I need to go to JDR court? Should I go straight to circuit court? Um, or is this a workers' compensation case? Or should I file it in federal court? Which federal court do I file it in? Um, that sort of thing. And usually an attorney will have um, a pretty good understanding of the different court systems to give you good advice about where you should file your claim. Well, that's all I wanted to talk about today. I just wanted to talk about the court systems and how um, it works and how each uh, different court would interact with the, the other. Uh, and the last thing I'll leave you with is uh, we are still technically under a 
judicial emergency in response to COVID-19. So what that means is uh, the Virginia Supreme Court has declared six times, seven times, the court just came out with another order today, seven times saying that we cannot do certain things in our courts. And the court has slowly went from our courts are closed except for emergency matters to now our courts are pretty much open with the exception of jury trials. Now, jury trials are expressly forbidden even in the latest order, and that order goes through August 9th of 2020. And each circuit court judge has been tasked with the responsibility of creating a plan on how to successfully reintroduce jury trials to our judicial process without increasing the risk of spreading COVID-19. Now, I imagine um, that will have several different aspects to it. If they were asking my opinion, obviously the problem is not in finding a, a place for um, in civil, civil cases seven jurors to sit six feet apart. I think that you could do that. But the problem is when you start a jury trial, you would bring in about 30 to 40, depending on the type of case, maybe even more in some jurisdictions, people that we would call uh, the, the veneer. And that veneer, that panel, is a group of people who are registered to vote in that county or in that city, and they are eligible jurors. And they essentially fill the courtroom, and we, the attorneys and the judge go through what we call voir dire. And voir dire is a process that others would call jury selection. So in jury selection, you're asking questions of the jurors to try to get an idea of any potential bias or prejudice that the juror might have against a party in this case. So the difficulty in bringing back jury trials at this particular moment in history is that those people would be seated fairly close together. I don't know that in every jurisdiction, it really just depends on how the courtroom is structured, if you can sit people six feet apart. I don't even know if it's physically possible. I haven't done any of the measurements, but I imagine if they were asking my opinion, if they were going to create a plan that attempted to make it safe for jury selection to happen and for a jury trial to proceed, I imagine that there would be a requirement that uh, that the attorneys and the witnesses wear masks. The difficulty with wearing masks as a witness is the jury would be, it'd be much more difficult for the jury to uh, judge the demeanor of the witness to determine if that person is telling the truth or telling a lie or if they just simply don't know. So as an alternative, um, it, they could install kind of like what you've seen at Food Lion and Kroger and all the different grocery stores, these plexiglass uh, walls with um, a barrier between the jury, the judge, the attorneys, and the witness. It, it's incredibly awkward, though, I think, to put a witness in that box. Essentially, it kind of looks like a hot box where you just sit them in there um, uh, to sweat it out um, under the sun of uh, interrogation. And, and that might 
cause some people, especially if someone, even though it's see-through, especially someone is claustrophobic, because you can still see those glass panels. Um, But I, I imagine that there would be some type of barrier between the witness who is not wearing a face mask and the jury who is wearing a face mask. And lawyers will probably be required to wear a face mask, although I'm not um, very in favor of that either, because I think that the jury needs to see my facial expressions in order to determine my credibility. A lot of times, um, the jury will um, carry the credibility of the attorney along with the credibility of the party. So if I believe in my client's case, they can see it in my body language and in my facial expressions. But if they can't see my face, then how can they see how much I believe in my client and in my client's case? So that's another difficulty that we're going to have to overcome as trial attorneys because uh, we do need to get back to doing jury trials because if we don't have jury trials, then our cases will not resolve. And if our cases won't resolve, then our, our clients are denied justice. And justice uh, delayed is justice denied. And we've had a lot of justice delayed in Virginia and across our country in the last four months. And I understand the necessity for it. I understand the complicated nuances that go into bringing jury trials back to our Commonwealth. But I also understand that people are hurting and people need resolution to their cases. There is a peace of mind that comes with resolution, and there is a financial peace that comes with the resolution of your case also. And insurance companies, a lot of insurance companies are only motivated by the threat of a jury trial result. And that's why we always push our cases towards a verdict. If you're not pushing your case towards a verdict, you will never get a decent settlement. So we always prepare for war, pray for peace. If we get peace, wonderful. I think everyone likes a peaceful resolution, an amicable resolution, better than a long, drawn-out battle. However, we will not sacrifice the value of our cases because justice is being delayed. And I don't recommend that for any of our clients because I think that their cases are valuable. Their experience is valuable. Their life is valuable. Uh, And we need to keep that in mind as we're putting dollar numbers on things, non-economic damages like pain and suffering and mental anguish and inconvenience and things of that nature. So getting back to jury trials is critical, I believe, to uh, getting justice in our cases and for our clients. How we do that safely is yet to be seen. Um, So uh, at least until August 9th, uh, we will not have any jury trials throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia, both criminal or civil, unless um, v- something different happens or perhaps um, the uh, Supreme Court approves a plan uh, from a particular circuit. Uh, it doesn't look like any of the circuits in our area in Central Virginia have submitted those plans yet. The Supreme Court has created a task force that is intended for the sole purposes of making recommendations of what that looks like. 
um, and the each circuit is required each judicial circuit um, is required to submit a plan in writing to the Supreme Court of Virginia by at least August 17th of this year, and that plan will be re reviewed and either approved or denied by the Supreme Court of Virginia. And I assume if it's denied, it would be denied with some type of a recommendation, and then the circuit court could then return with a, with a new plan that incorporates the suggestions of the Supreme Court. So all that to say, uh, our courts play a pivotal role in our society. They uh, obviously, and I've said this before, you know, the law is not uh, the mechanism to force your neighbor to love you. No law can, can change someone's heart. No law can force someone to honor the second greatest commandment, which is love thy neighbor as thyself. But the law can create an atmosphere in which that love can flourish. And I fully believe that our court system plays a pivotal role in, um, in creating that atmosphere in which that love can flourish. We have laws on the books against speeding, against running red lights, against stop signs, running stop signs. We have laws against crossing double yellow lines. We have uh, laws about regarding driving on the right-hand side of the road, walking on a certain side of the road. For, for good reason, we are trying to create order in our society so that we don't have folks who are unnecessarily injuring or harming other people. When you, when you have a society that protects people, that prevents people from harming others, then you have a society that is trying to create an atmosphere in which love thy neighbor can truly exist. So our courts are a, a pivotal or a crucial aspect of fulfilling the second greatest commandment. And that's why I'm so convinced that this is where I am supposed to be. This is my calling in life. Uh, same thing is true with everyone here at Osterbahn Law. We believe that where we are is where God wants us to be because we are helping real people solve real problems. And if you need help solving the, some of those problems, we're happy to help you, happy to talk to you, sit down and give you a free strategy session and tell you what your case will look like in the grand scheme of things in the long run and what your options are. So just give us a call, send us an email and let us help you resolve your case, whether it be a workers' compensation case a personal injury case, a medical malpractice case, or an ERISA disability case. We are here to help you uh, get some resolution, whether it be by settlement or by verdict. Uh, we are here to provide that, that guidance that you need to get through this court system and to achieve a successful outcome. Thank you so much for listening. As always, uh, if you found this helpful, send it to your friends, send it to your family, share it on social media, and give us a five-star review. Of course, that helps us reach more people and help more people. And we love you, Team Osterbein. Thank you so much for listening to the end. And read the show notes. I'll put a few links in there that would be helpful. And we'll see you guys next week. 
Thanks for listening to the Insight to Injury podcast by Osterbind Law PLLC, where we declare mortal combat against information inequality about your injury or disability. We hope you enjoyed this show, but don't stop here. Don't stop here. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and give us a five-star review. We need your help so that we can help more people.